Well, welcome back to Talking With Tech. This is Lucas Stuber, joined as always by my colleague, Rachel Madel. How are you? I'm great. And I'm very excited this week to welcome our good friend, Kate Ahern. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. So the, you know, I think one easy place to start, and I, you know, a lot of our audience is probably familiar with, with your presenting and your work, um, but tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got where you are. Um, so I started as a special education teacher, but I actually first worked with someone using AAC when I was in high school. He used one of the original um, light talkers from PRC, which was a uh, not a dynamic display device. It was a sequential hit device where he had to aim a beam of light at each button. Um, and he also had a low-tech communication board. And I loved working with, with him and with other students like him. And that's what I went to college for. I specifically wanted to be a teacher of kids who used AAC. Um, so I've been doing this now for way way too long <laughs> um you know since the since like 1991 i guess was the first aac user i worked with when i was in high school myself wow that's great well and so you just um you know spoke to the you know some of the the laser pointing stuff that used to happen like th there's obviously been a huge change in the technology um since then but i i think another message i've even heard from you is that um, you know, good practice in the field may be technology independent in a, in a variety of ways. Yeah. Right? So uh, I'm, I'm really system agnostic. I think that there are qualifications for what makes a robust system. Um, and as long as your system has that and meets your needs, then it's the right system for you. Um, and it really depends a lot more on how we implement and how we teach and how we support the users than it does on which pissed uh, which system we pick. Yeah, great. So that's, so, okay, here's the tough question then is what, what is your definition of a robust system? Oh, I would have to look it up to make sure I hit all the points, but uh, I've written about it on my blog if anybody wants to read it. But um, it includes, so I came up with an acronym, but I can never remember what all the things stand for. So the acronym is Mega PC, and um, I think it stands for, um, Oh, let's see. Um, it's expandable. It is grammar. Mm -hmm. um, it has, uh, it's a range. So there's a motor plan. There's pre-programmed messages for fast moving situations um, and social situations. So things like um, going to the doctor, there's pre-programmed messages. Um, Oh, I forget the other ones. Uh, a corvo for corvo vocabulary. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's the C. That's the C. Core vocabulary. I can't remember the M. Huh. Expandable grammar. I would say motor planning, but I think that's under arranged. Oh no, that might be motor planning, and A might be something else. <laughs> oh, we've hit most of them. We've hit most. Yeah, of we've them. hit. I, I was going to say I've, I've read what you've you got to be able to spell. <laughs> um, and I don't know what I put that under, but it's definitely in there. So, <laughs> so that's, that's, um, I mean, that's great. That's really useful. Uh, I, I'm, 
excited that you said the pre-programmed phrases because I worry a lot about rate enhancement, right? Um, yeah. Especially with, you know, obviously the focus, which I think is very positive on core language, but, um, you know, sometimes it can take a while to, to put together phrases. Um, mm -hmm. do, do you feel like any of that um, changes depending on access modality, like for an iGaze student versus direct select? Um, I think it depends more on the level of apraxia and definitely changes a little bit for switch users um, because they're just inherently so much slower with their access just because of how switches work. Um, but if it's a form of direct access, eye gaze, touching the screen, joystick, something like that, um, it really just depends on the quality of the child and their apraxia and their anxiety. And um, But if it's a switch user, then definitely we have to pay a lot more attention to how things are arranged and making sure the most important stuff is early in the scan and they can get out of the scan to get to something else. And um, I think one of the things that's happened with iGaze becoming so popular is we've forgotten we still have switch users out there. Right. And um, I, th I think that lack of focus on switch users just the past five years or so hasn't done any favors to the kids we have coming up who um, need to be learning to use switches. Right. All right. I feel like I'm asking all the questions because I've been excited to have you on. I'm sorry, Rachel. No, no worries. Um, I actually kind of wanted to go back a little bit. So Kate, you are a special education teacher and you kind of knew that from that experience you had in high school. I'm curious, did you have a point in time where you were kind of deciding between you know, speech language pathology and special education? Like, and explain that a little bit. Um, so there was, so still back in high school, so remember I'm 16, 17 making oh, this call. Right. Um, I went with my orchestra instructor and his daughter and his wife to their daughters who had complex communication needs before we called it that, speech therapy session. And um, she used sign and I saw the therapy session um, and I really, I felt like I would be good at that, but I also felt like I could make a much bigger difference six hours a day, five days a week than I could an hour a week or an hour and a half a week or whatever kids were going to be getting for speech. Um, and to me that, that felt really valuable to be able to have that ongoing daily contact and to know that um, the speech therapist, you know, well, they're, well, the model is generally they're picking the device and they're deciding how it's used and what goes on it. Um, it would be the teacher who was really implementing and teaching it and um, in the classroom and making sure that that happened. And, and I really wanted more of that ongoing role as Absolutely. opposed to being just sort of the consultant an hour a week, which is yeah. ironic since <laughs> now I'm frequently the consultant. <laughs> I was just going to go back and say, you know, <laughs> you know, it is kind of funny, you know, it, it is ironic that now you're kind of doing the consultant role. Um, when did you make that switch and how, I mean, how many years were you in a classroom setting and then, you know, I taught for uh, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I taught for 15 years. Um, and I taught a couple years in a private hospital school oh, wow. and a couple years. Um, so I had kids with ventilators and trachs and 
some of them lived in the hospital and some of them went home. Um, and then I taught for a couple of years in a substantially separate program in a public school. Um, and then I moved to what we call in Massachusetts a collaborative mm -hmm. um, setting, which is called, you know, an IU or a bossy or it's got different names, different places, but here it's a collaborative. So my classroom was part of a collaborative, but it was hosted by a public school. Um, and I did that for the last 11 years that I taught, I guess. Wow. Um, but yeah, I taught for a long time. And then I moved to assistive technology um, with sort of at first the 50-50 caseload between standard assistive technology. So kids with dyslexia or kids with handwriting issues um, and AAC. And I just kept coming back to the most complex kids and, and the AAC and started to do a lot of work in Rett syndrome and Angelman syndrome and really looking at these kids who were um, had the significant apraxia and anxiety and were presumed incompetent. And, um, and that became sort of my, my go-to. So now all the referrals I get are, uh, are those kiddos, kids who um, are frequently presumed incompetent. And, you know, somebody has told the parents that they're not capable of doing AAC and, that's when I start, I get a message or a phone call to come in and, and, and help. So. Absolutely. I've actually, um, I've heard one of your, your talks that was on YouTube and you talk about that. The difference between you and other therapists is that you have that belief that, you know, a child is capable and, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if not, it, you know, it's really on you as a, the teacher or the therapist, you know, how can mm -hmm. I tap in? How can I access this, yep. this child? How can I teach them? Well, and I think it's all about presuming potential. I think when we start talking about presuming competence, people have trouble because they need to make this leap right. where what they think they see in front of them doesn't match what we're asking them to do. Mm -hmm. So I, I usually bring it back to presume potential. I love what that. you see in front of you is not how it's going to stay forever. This child today is not who they're going to be in a year. And that's true for every single child on the planet. And I think when we start to think about it that way um, and we stop asking me, you know, I want people to make the late leap. I want them to resume competence. I just know that there are people I'm not going to get to do that. And for those people, I try to get them to presume potential and to realize that, you know, whether or not you think this child is capable, it's your job to, to teach them. And, you know, the other thing that I talk a lot about is, building AAC, especially with kids with apraxia and anxiety is relational. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that relationship is what builds their AAC use. Um, and I think people get really hung up on what system and I'm programming messages <laughs> and how much should I program and how many Great. buttons and what simple system. And I don't think it has that much to do with that. I think as long as you're consistent and you're um, being thoughtful about those things, you don't need to agonize. You need to focus on mm -hmm. building a relationship where the, the child wants to learn how to communicate because it's exciting to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's we, you know, I, I have a fair amount of overlap with you in terms of the population that I work with. And then I also do a lot of Brett and a lot of even Pitt Hopkins and, and Angel Manum. One thing I'm, I'm frankly really envious of is 
you know, what I see from, from your end in terms of the relationships that you've been able to build with the students and the family, that seems like what you're highlighting, you know, more than anything. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. what, what, what percentage of your time do you think is focused on that and on the circle of support relative to like programming? I rarely program. I mean, I, I, I program. <laughs> I know, I know how I'm good at programming, but you know, all of robust systems come with plenty of words to work on with a kid. So <laughs> yeah, they make it easy now, huh? They make it easy. This isn't the old days where you got a Toby P10 and there was nothing in it and you had to program it all. Yeah. Um, like a bag of packs sitting on a table somewhere. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, everything comes with a robust vocabulary. So once you add the names of their specific people and their personal information and then whatever they need to support anxiety or to support um or to support them emotionally for self-talk once that's in there it's a little changes you know um i had a girl ask me the other day she asked with um she uses a high tech and a low tech at the same time and she um but between her pod book and her pod on her toby she asked me why she didn't have the words to talk about multiplying fractions mm, wow. you know and at that point, okay, I'll give you some words to talk about multiplying fractions. Um, but in general, I don't, I don't find a lot of need to do that. Yeah, I've never, I've never really had to do. So, which is an interesting question too that I fight with sometimes is you know, striking the balance, I guess, between access to academics and access to activities of daily living, right? Yeah. You know, especially in the schools. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know who would feel the same as me necessarily, but especially with some of my more impacted students, I'm way more concerned about the latter, you know, making sure that they're enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I used to feel that way. I think when I was teaching, I, I believe I was a pretty good teacher, a decent teacher, and my kids got a lot of what they needed. Once I start going into classrooms and realizing how often kids are watching movies all day. Our kids, our kids with significant, significant needs and complex needs. Um, how often they watched a movie all day, how often they watched other people do things, how often they slept all day, how often somebody else did a craft and called it theirs. Um, once I started seeing that, I started to really think that, you know, they're not learning anything there. They're not learning life skills. They're not learning academics. They're not learning anything, but people pretend that they're learning life skills and that it's a quality of life thing. And the more I see it, the more I think, you know what, it's, it's time to teach these kids academics just for the mere reason that what we're doing now doesn't do anything for them. You right. know, four four hours of, of videos during the day at school is too much. An hour an hour a day of video at school is too much. Um so and then I started getting these kids who have been fully included for years and we're doing this amazing stuff. So I have a girl with Rett syndrome, she lives out of Missouri. Uh her parents moved from DC to Missouri because there was a school that would do full inclusion. And uh, so they gave up their whole lives, high, you know, high-powered wow. jobs in D.C. Yeah. and moved. And um, the first time I met her, her mother read her, we were playing Brain Quest, and her mother read her a word problem. And it was, um, you know, Joe needs to go around the track four times. Mm 
he runs around the track once, he walks around the track twice. What fraction represents how much more he needs to go around the track? And her mother held up cards with, you know, a fourth, an eighth, a tenth, and um, and she used eye gaze and, and picked the answer. And I was astonished. And here I am, someone who presumes confidence, and <laughs> still I was amazed that she could do this word problem. And the more I met kids like her who were being fully included and and were in those settings where people had decided to make an academic setting work, the more I realized that, you know, we're losing kids who have potential to do so much more because they're sitting in a life skills classroom Mm -hmm. and they're not doing anything. Um, So at, at the very least, I think we should be starting in inclusion and, um, you know, and if there's a good reason to move away from that, then okay, let's talk about it. But um, I think our kids deserve to be taught academics. And mm-hmm. I think you can have a high quality of life learning them. Yeah. The kids I have who are learning academics seem, on the whole, a lot happier than the kids who sit around doing nothing all day. Um, yeah, no, good. You're, you're, this is, <laughs> you're changing my view, although I didn't mean to imply that there shouldn't be academics, you know. Um, yeah. Just... I guess the balance of time spent on each one, but that's, I mean, this is really good feedback, especially. When I think what I, when it's done well, the academics are the tool in which you embed everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Gives so you it, it used to be that we would do a craft or cooking activity and say we were embedding academics into that. Right. So I'm doing cooking, but really I'm doing math because we're measuring things. And now it's kind of like, let's do math and embed communication into that. Mm-hmm. Let's embed social skills into that. Let's, you know, let's take all these other life skills and put them into math. You know, I have a kiddo, a sixth grader who's fully included, who's really at the beginning, beginning stages of core words, right? So go, stop, up, down, look. And we spend a lot of time, you know, working on, what is his goal during this lesson? So if they're learning about ancient Egypt and he's in that classroom, what is his focus? What can he learn during that? Well, he can learn, you know, um, the idea of something happening now versus something happening in the past. Mm -hmm. He can learn, you know, so old and new. He can learn, um, if we're talking about how they ancient Egyptians dressed, then we can talk about the clothing he wears now. Um, If they're talking about um, how they built the pyramids, then a lot of his motor skills can be involved when he does a project, but he can also talk about sequencing. You know, anything that is how-to is a sequencing activity. So he can talk about sequencing and he can start to learn to use his talker to say first, middle, last. So just really rethinking how we do it. You know, we could do all those skills through cooking or a craft, but isn't it more to his benefit to be with typical peers and do that in a setting where he's learning the same skills, but through academics as the vehicle? Yep. Great. That being said, it's hard. It is hard yeah. to do as the kids get older and you're doing inclusion 
And if there's a gap, if it widens, it's hard. Yeah. Um, but I think it's worth it. What do you think the hardest thing um, is for teachers when they're implementing in a classroom to help support communication? What do you think the biggest obstacle is? Um, I think it's the concept of modeling and not expecting anything back. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> um, you know, teachers and speech therapists, we like our data and we want, we want to be able to prove that what we're doing works and we don't want to be able to prove it in six months. We want to be able to prove it today. Now. Yeah. Now. And, um, and that is not how AAC works mm -hmm. and people have a really tough time with, you know, you're going to model and you're not going to expect anything back right away that I think teachers have a, a really hard time with that. And I think that sometimes they have a hard time with changing how they, how they do things. So they, you know, they've always done things a certain way and they, they don't want to do it differently. And then they cling to their old beliefs. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this is true for teachers and speech therapists. So, you know, anyone who went to school a while ago or anyone who went to school now, but who had a professor went to school a while ago is going to believe that we have to start with two symbols and earn the right to four mm. and right. earn the right to eight. And when we are, are placed with a child who we f don't feel comfortable, we don't know what to do. We cling to what we were taught in college. Mm -hmm. So we run back to, all right, we're going to do a choice of two. And it's really hard for us to let go and say, no, we're going to do a robust core system and model. Mm -hmm. um, because that's hard because you can't take dad on that right away. Well, you can, but you'd have to take dad on different stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that, you know, teachers and speech therapists in the school setting, they just feel such pressure from the IEP goals. It's like, we have to show that they're making progress, you know? And I, I think that's, obviously it's a necessary evil. We need to have those goals. We need to take data, but like you said, it's not something that happens overnight. So we kind of yeah. have to start reframing, you know, what we're taking data on. Exactly. Well, you know, can we take data on being responsive to modeling? Mm -hmm. So, you know, are they looking, are they paying attention? Um, is there an increased understanding of receptive language when we model? Let's mm -hmm. take data on that instead of choosing from a field to two. Or, you know, let's take data on how many functions the child is using um, instead of are they making a three-word utterance. Mm -hmm. Let's take, you know, so I think it's, it's about shifting how we do things, but you have to have enough knowledge of how things work to be able to make the shift. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And you have to have faith that it will work. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah. that's an interesting point too. I mean, one experience I've had, especially in consulting is getting feedback from, from teachers or, or SLPs in the schools that I want, you know, it, that I haven't struck an appropriate balance between a goal that presumes competence and a goal that's setting them up to fail. Right. I mean, often they'll want a lower bar than I, than I do because then they're able to, you know, collect that data and look like there's progress and, and these other things. I, I don't know if that's something that you've experienced too, yeah. but it's tough, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think when I'm working with an excellent teacher, I don't care what the goals are because yeah. right. I know they're doing safe. the right thing regardless of what's written on the paper. 
I think a lot of people get hung up on the goals when you're not working with a, a good teacher or a good therapist, because what else do parents have to keep us accountable? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when I'm in a classroom and I know that teacher gets it and I know that that therapist gets it and the team gets it, I don't worry that much about the goals. Um, but it, yeah, it's tough when I go in and I say, you know, I, I want them to, to, you know, use four different purposes of communication over the course of a week. Um, and then, you know, they're like, they just don't understand why I would want that to be the goal. Um, I have a bad habit of people leaving. I, well, people leave IEPs near me (laughs) and, uh, once I pick it up, I can't help myself and I rewrite it. So it's a little joke between the parents that um, they'll just like invite me to stay after the session for tea and then just like put the IEP near me. And then I, I just can't, I can't help it. <laughs> I can it. That's great. I can totally relate with that. Um, <laughs> so a lot of times I have parents who walk into the IEP meeting with the goals that I already wrote. <laughs> and a lot of places will go with that. You know, if, yeah. If I manage to to keep it at a place where they think it's possible for the child to do it. But most of the time people just haven't thought they haven't thought about other ways to collect data. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't thought about that they could do language samples or look at functions versus picking out the right symbol or you know how to collect data without testing. We'll be back with Kate Ahern right after this break. So we know that the end of the year is coming up for everyone, which means that it's that time where you should be maybe worrying a little bit about continuing education credits. So we've been thinking about that ourselves, and we actually were able to line up a pretty great deal with MedBridge. So rather than $425 for a year for their premium subscription, we were actually able to line up $95 a year. So it's a $300 discount, which is like amazing, right? So if you go to medbridgeeducation.com, you can put in the promo code talking with tech and t- tech is all uppercase. I'm actually not sure if that matters, but tech's all uppercase. Again, <laughs> promo code talking with tech and that'll get you the $95 price, which includes a lot of pretty awesome stuff. Like if you're listening to us because you're into AAC, there's a great presentation by John McCarthy out of Ohio University, um, a whole big series about pediatric intervention. I know, Rachel, you found one too. Yeah, I'm really excited. There's one by Laura DeThorne. She's out of the University of Illinois. It's called Eyes on the Prize, Communicative Competence in Children. Um, So I'm just always kind of a big believer in supporting the presumption of competence. So I think that that could be a really good one for That's great. Well, and there's 365 total SLP courses, so there's a ton there. There's also a lot of stuff that you might encounter with your practice uh, along with AAC, like dysphagia, um, other things. There's some great education. The other thing that's really neat is that because it's the $425 subscription that we're getting for $95, you have access to their whole pinch patient education library, which has a whole bunch of uh, materials that you can hand out to families that you work with. So we're really excited about this. So go to medbridgeeducation.com, use the promo code TALKINGWITHTECH, and you'll get this uh, really amazing discount. I wanted to ask, and I know I want to honor your time too. We've had a great conversation here, but um, what, other, outside of modeling, what, what's one thing that everyone could do better, do you think? I think that they could be, be so specifically thinking of the 
population that I tend to work with. I think that they could do better on using traditional special ed support tools to support language and anxiety management and self-talk. So I do a lot with social stories around language and things you can say in various situations. I do a lot with video models. I do a lot with um, visual supports um, around AAC. And these are tools that AAC um, people don't think about very much, but SPED teachers you know, we spend a lot of time on that in graduate school mm -hmm. on these various supports we can use. And they work beautifully with a lot of our populations for language stuff and for behavior and anxiety and stuff that impacts language. And um, I don't see people using it very often. I don't see, you know, pe people say to me, well, what do I do when he stims on the device? Well, and then they focus on, do I take it away? Well, why are you focusing on the consequence of the behavior? Mm -hmm. Let's focus right. on the antecedent and let's focus on replacement behaviors. Because if you focus on those, maybe you don't need to worry about a consequence because the behavior will decrease. So can you write a social story that talks about, you know, my talkers for talking and not for, for making funny noises? Or can you write... Um, Make a visual support that says, if I want to hear a button over and over, I turn the volume down to whisper. Or, you know, what are what can we do at the antecedent level and at the behavior level um, with all of these amazing tools we have as educators and as speech therapists, instead of always jumping to take it away or give them less words or hide buttons, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I guess that would be, let's use all the tools in our toolbox would be the thing we could do better. Mm -hmm. right. And it would be just based on my experience. That's not something that SLPs are exposed to as much in, in their education, you know, so that's yeah. something they, they have to learn from you, learn from, from teachers, yeah. you know? Well, you know, you'll see a goal that the child will carry their device from activity to activity and which is great, but the only tool being used to teach that is prompting. So carry your device, get your device, bring your device. You know, why don't we have a social story or I've written a social story called I wear my words mm. that lets kids see lots of other kids wearing and carrying their, their devices and talking about how important it is to have our words with us. You know, let's make videos where there's, they can see themselves carrying their words Let's have visual supports on their desk that says, don't forget your talker, you know, take your mm -hmm. words with you. Um, and use these other tools besides, you know, besides prompting and besides that sort of thing. And I, I think sometimes we forget to, to use the tools that we have. Yeah, I think we're in such a kind of a high-tech world that we forget the power of low-tech supports. Um, you know, I'm always kind of trying to encourage teachers and parents to not, you know, constantly be verbally prompting kids. You know, I feel like kid, these kids get told what to do all day long. Um, so if we can have a visual support on their desk that tells them, you know, or cues them or reminds them to, you know, not to forget their device, I feel like that's so much, so much better than constantly telling them what to do. Well, I don't, I don't need to go through insurance to fund a laminated piece of paper either. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, you can, I mean, if you really feel like you need to be high tech, 
uh, <laughs> if there are ways to do these things high tech. Yeah. You know, um, they're not necessary a lot of the time, but you know, I had a mom call. So I just spoke last weekend at the Angelman Syndrome, um, their Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics event. And the whole day was about anxiety um, behavior and communication and other tools to deal with that. And um, I had a mom contact me after on Facebook Messenger, and she hadn't actually seen the sessions. So she's asking me all these questions, and at some point I realized I answered all these questions in the presentation. <laughs> I sent her the YouTube link, but the big thing she kept telling me was, you know, um, my son's fine as long as I'm there. Okay, so let's think about any other kid. We would give them a transitional object, right? A right. picture um, a teddy bear, something mm -hmm. that allows them to remember mom when she's not there. So some of this is, you know, it doesn't have to be some complex thing on their talker. It can be, you know, have a picture of mom and teach him to look at it when he feels anxious. Um, yeah. Right. Simple as that. <laughs> I, I think I need that, but it'd be, it'd be like my cat or something. <laughs> um, maybe not my cat he's 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 sometimes inspires anxiety but um do you, I, another thing you, you're always great with these pithy i'm still i've been sitting here musing over the i wear my words book uh, oh, I just love love that but then you you know i i also love uh you know the name of you have your facebook group that's motivate model and move out of the way i've um, yeah. shamelessly quoted that a number of times and then you i believe you also you did the talking a or the see me see my aac yeah, that's mine too. So that yeah. was, and that's and we're in the middle of twelve days of modeling, a co another contest. No, oh, great. So trying to a contest every few months. Um, so at for Halloween we did see me see my AAC TOT for trick or treat, and I wanted to see kids in costumes with their talkers. So we had a contest, and AbleNet gave us prizes, and Rhett University gave us prizes, and. You know, we, we got tons of pictures of kids in costumes with their communication systems. Um, so right now we're doing see me, see my AAC, um, and then hashtag 12 days of modeling. So we're asking parents to post over the course of December, 12 pictures on 12 different days that shows the modeling. And then we'll have a drawing actually for a, um, uh ipad harness so kids can wear their words <laughs> <laughs> full circle <laughs> um but i think the joy of being a, a sped teacher is we're all about simplifying things down and um <clears throat> that doesn't stop when you stop teaching so my family will joke that when i ask for something i'll say you know would you please get me x it is in the left hand cabinet <laughs> on the second shelf and it is labeled spices on the cabinet and they'll be like you just said get me the cinnamon <laughs> but, but I, i'm a sped teacher that's i can't help but be you know very clear but simple and you know specific and that's and many years of teaching special education so that's what it'll do to you <laughs> great uh, I, again I, I need more of that i really need more of those kind of directions in my life so. <laughs>
Well, I, I know that you, um, you have some clients, you said, so um, you know, I don't want to take your whole morning, but thank you so very much um, for speaking with us. I think this was really helpful um, to anyone listening out there. Please do obviously check out Kate's Facebook group and I, you know, you have a million different websites or excuse me, videos that you've done out there and, and other things. Um, again, I, I just really appreciate it. Uh, anything else? No, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I think it's great that there's so many resources out there for people pursuing AAC with, you know, as a speech therapist or as a teacher or as a parent or, um, you know, one of my sort of greatest moments is I presented at the New England Assistive Technology Conference and talked about apraxia and, and assistive technology. And there was a woman in the audience who is autistic and sometimes is able to speak and sometimes isn't. Hmm. And nobody had ever explained to her that that was called apraxia. And nobody had ever explained why it got worse when she was anxious. So she's, she's a part-time AAC user, and, but she didn't quite, nobody had ever taught her that. And obviously that's not a population. I, I mean, she, she's, a, um, she's in college and she works as a TA and sometimes she, presents, she teaches math and so she does this complex cool. math and sometimes she's using AAC to do it. And I had, you know, it's not a population I've ever worked with, but I, I think it's great the way that the work we do, you never know where it's going to reach. So, you know, I'm just glad that resources like the podcast and, and other places exist so that people can get the information you need and you never know who's going to need it and how it's going to, affect them right good that's wow i'm so you said you like the podcast that's all i wanted to hear today thanks, <laughs> thanks so much again for your time and You're um, welcome. again lucas stuber and rachel madel and kate ahern for talking with tech um anyone listening please do uh again check out her resources and keep listening so thanks a lot all right. thanks so much Yeah, you're like an AAC celebrity, Kate. People tell me that and I don't get it. Like, as far as I'm concerned, like, I'm just trying to get through my day. <laughs> get, you know, show up on time periodically for stuff. Uh, <laughs> I totally get yeah, that. People, when people tell me, you know, you're a celebrity or you know, a, lot, a lot of women will tell me I'm fangirling and I'll be like, <laughs> I don't understand why. Yep. I do have a request. If anybody feels like they want to message me and ask me to do something for you, please start with hello. <laughs> like, you know, Back I'm to basics. To help you out, if you if you start with a hello, and uh, and not just jump into here's the nine things I need you as a stranger. Yeah, the five thousand word narrative of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, totally. I'm sorry this is so long. When it st starts with that, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, here it comes. <laughs> yep. And I try to help everybody who reaches out, but there are moments when I feel like everybody wants something from me. Yeah, you do a lot of presenting, certainly. Um, I so do, I'm sure do a you're... lot of presenting. Yep. And I joke like last time I presented, there was a, after I presented, there was a line like 10 people deep of people who wanted to ask me questions. And yeah. I started telling them that, you know, it was going to cost them a vodka tonic at the <laughs> And it was an open bar. So <gasps> all they actually had to do was get it and bring it to me. Nobody 
vodka tonic. Nobody did it? Oh. I never had a vodka tonic that night at all, actually. We will get you a vodka tonic.